Get ready to be inspired by the great things happening in rural education. The Rural Scoop will bring you new ideas and innovative solutions, will dive into education issues, and will highlight what's working in your rural communities. You will hear from a variety of educators, administrators, professionals, and others who will provide relevant and engaging content in each episode. And now, serving up the scoop, here's your host, Dr. Melissa Sadorf. Thank you, Roll Scoop listeners, for joining us today for part of a series of interviews that gives us a chance to get to know our Arizona County School Superintendents. Today, we'll be talking with Jalen Gerlich, the Superintendent of Schools in Navajo County, Arizona. I'm really looking forward to hearing about our county and learning about the educational opportunities for students in that part of the state. Jalen, are you ready to give us the scoop? You bet. Great. Well, first, before we get started, can you give our listeners a bit of information about you and your background? Absolutely. So education has always been a passion of mine. I have taught and or supervised preschool through post-secondary in my 31 years here in Navajo County. I lived in Shiloh for a time, and then my husband and I built a house in Pine Top, and that's where we currently live. I received a Bachelor of Arts in Elementary Education with a minor in Special Education from the University of Wyoming and a Master's of Arts in Educational Leadership from NAU. Um, I had taught special education all my career and had a, a stint with Gifted. I was an assistant principal for a time, and I, the last time I was in schools directly, I was a special education director for nine years. So during those years, I was also um, working as an adjunct professor for NAU's um, statewide program. Did that for 15 years in which we would take students in their last two years of their bachelor's and take them through pre-service for an elementary ed uh, teaching certificate and degree. Hmm. So many of our my former students are currently uh, teaching here in Navajo. County. It is wonderful to be go visit schools and see my former students and see how successful they are. And it's just a, it's just a thrill to me to always uh, do that and understanding that you know the impacts my students I taught in the classroom and then my students I taught with NAU also making impacts. That's always exciting to do. Yes, definitely. Many Arizonans may not know what a county school superintendent does once they're elected to office. Um, can you describe the responsibility and role that you play in Navajo County? Sure. Navajo County being a rural district, we have in the county school superintendent's office has probably more hands-on role. It's a real true working role. Uh, we have a very small staff. We've had reductions lately due to some of the fiscal um, issues in our county. But knowing each aspect of the office and all those components is critical. Um, in Navajo County, we're fairly unique. We have a very active education service agency. We also have an accommodation school district alongside a special services consortium that works with it under the umbrella of the Education Service Agency, plus the statutory duties as a county school superintendent. And a lot of that is the fiscal end, you know, looking at payroll, completion mm -hmm. reports, mm -hmm. uh, submitting uh, billing for different things that we do for our districts, uh, 
school board elections, uh, appointing school board members when there's vacancies, um, all those pieces, looking at policy and making sure everyone is, we're all on the same page. Uh, supporting those districts is the most critical component that we, uh, I feel we need to be supporting our districts with. The other issue is um, I'm the fiscal agent for the uh, Navapache Superintendent Association. Um, some, there's some regional superintendents associations uh, are run uh, where the county school superintendent more or less runs it. That is not the case here. This district superintendents run theirs. And so we are a uh, guide on the side and we are an acting member, but they run it and they are, we have exceptional leadership in our region. I'm just thrilled with that. Well, Jalen, we've heard about you. Can you introduce us to your county now? What are some things that make Navajo County unique? You bet. So we're very rural. We just have a total population of just over 100,000. So uh, also we're the, one of those long skinny counties like Apache County. So it takes uh, a, quite a bit of um, driving time to get from one end to the other. My southernmost school district is White River Unified School District. In our most no northern district is Kayenta, which is just 18 miles south of the Utah border. So literally, it would take wow. you from White River <laughs> to Kayenta approximately four and a half to five hours drive. And I'm not talking 20 miles an hour drive. We're driving. And so it's that is part of the beauty of our uh County, it's also a challenge. Um, we have uh, two CTEG districts, one that serves the northern region and one that serves the southern region. That's Nabit and Native. We have four districts that are on reservations. We have one of our districts, I just found out, <clears throat> that has over 75% uh, of their bus routes are on unimproved roads. So they have uh, challenges. So we have snow days with the White Mountain region, and we have mud days mm -hmm. on our reservation roads and other parts that are have unimproved roads that those buses must drive on. So um, we really do define that term rural. So you, you talked a little bit about how public schools, as you know, in rural areas can look very different from place to place, even within one county like yours. Mm -hmm. So small to large, well-resourced to impoverished. What does that spectrum look like in Navajo County? Well, we fit that range perfectly. We have a district that has 125 students and we have others over 2,000. So we run that gamut. Um, we also have some areas where the unemployment in those communities is over 50% and others that is below 10%. So you get a picture as far as that goes, as far as the communities our districts are housed in. Um, some school districts are making it with cash just month to month, barely making it. And others are doing okay in that regard. Um, so we have that great diversity, and but we also have wonderful leadership that's able to manage that within their districts very well. And so we've developed partnerships that are very powerful to help assist each other on how to face those challenges. It's a diverse, but also everybody has the same goal of how do we meet the needs of our communities and get 
our students the best education they can with what we have. One of the things that um, counties around the state may not be familiar with is impact aid. And I know that your county in particular is a recipient of impact aid dollars. Can you talk to us about what that looks like in Navajo County? Sure. Impact aid is federal dollars that come to districts on reservation lands, and it follows those students if they should choose to go to a district on non-reservation properties. And basically, there is no property tax on reservation lands. So if you have land that cannot be taxed, how do you fund schools? And so impact aid is a federal solution to that. Um, so so as forest fees, we also have uh, several districts, Heber Unified School District in particular, that is on an island surrounded by national forest land. It gets those fees also. So they don't have impact aid. They have what we call forest fees. And those are funds that are given, doled out from Congress in lieu of property tax because you can't tax uh, for national forest lands. It's as simple as that. All of the counties in Arizona have rural schools. Are there any in your county that are not considered rural? Um, we don't have any population centers that are large enough to be not considered rural. Um, the, the population for Sholo is growing, for Snowflake is growing, but, you know, we get summer um, visitors quite a bit, and then, but our year-round population isn't high enough. Again, when you have a population for the whole county of just over 100,000, and we're spread out, so it's, hmm. none, none is considered a uh, flagstaff size or, you know, even a cost grant size or those types of communities, not even close. So when we talk about education in Navajo County, we're really talking about rural mm-hmm. specifically. Yes. So looking at the challenges, you mentioned some of them already, but the schools in Navajo County, what are the challenges that they've been facing and how have they overcome those challenges? Well, it's through partnerships. Um, one of the challenges that we're facing and we're working on is the access, uh, is logistics and looking at distance between resources. But one of our big partnerships is with the CTEC districts because they're satellites and they're meeting the needs of those students in this really rigorous program. And with Northland Pioneer College, we have, uh, our districts have dual enrollment capacities. Northland Pioneer College several years ago received a serious grant called the Talon Project. And basically what that grant enabled uh, Northland Pioneer College to do is to provide technical equipment, 15 school districts, in which there would be a lone teacher, for example, in Sholo, who's teaching calculus. Mm -hmm. And they would broadcast at a set time, that calculus class, which could be a dual enrollment course, to Joseph City. Now, Joseph City might have eight students who want to take calculus, but they don't have a calculus teacher. And so all these students from around the region would take calculus at the same time from that lone teacher in Sholof through Northland Pioneers College's program. And so it's been able to fill the needs of those 
districts where they can't hire Spanish teacher, calculus teachers, AP, um, dual enrollment courses, English, etc. Can't hire them, but they have a need for those uh, students to take these courses. So consequently, that's been a huge boon. And it's continuing on. The grant has now is at near the end of its funding cycle, but MPC fortunately is developing programs to make it fairly affordable for districts to continue that participation because they put the, the heavy lifting was getting that equipment and broadcasting that out. Now it's been fantastic for our area because it does definitely fill fill a need of what do we do with our for our students. So it's not okay, we live in rural, so we have to do without an AP calculus class. That's not the case anymore. So that's one of the big challenges, but that's also how we have overcome that particular challenge. So you mentioned your ESA, your Educational Service Agency. What types of programming do you offer for your districts? Um, Right now, our strongest program is our Special Services Consortium. We work over uh, the two-county region. We also work with our BIE schools, which are community land-grant schools on the uh, reservations. Uh, they provide services such as speech, uh, language pathology, um, PT services, OT services, um, to help support especially our small, small schools that only need someone for a few days a month and they can't hire. And if you think there's a teacher shortage, I think all districts will recognize the shortage in therapists. So we are also facing that shortage too. And so we're doing that. We have an agreement with MPC again, in which they had a grant in which they could supply a, a van with STEM materials. So I have an educational specialist who goes with them so many hours per week and trains them up and we loan, they go to school districts. You just made districts make an arrangement for a date and time and a topic to cover. And they come in with the van and they'll do, um, you know, mini bots or they'll do um, electric circuits or, I mean, they, they have so many materials they can load it up and do it specifically. And that is scheduled throughout the County a lot. I'm not sure what the schedule is, but I know it is, it's more than most people would think. And, and word of mouth is wonderful. And that's what we do is people talk and talk and they understand how wonderful this is. And it's getting that STEM education out to areas uh, where people may not have those resources, but it's getting it to them. We're delivering it to them. That's been a big boon. Um, one of the other projects we have is we're working with um, NAU. Um, we have an agreement with them. We are the Grow Your Own program, continuing that idea of picking up people in their last two years of um, college education to become certified as elementary and taking up uh, and have programming where we're providing that instruction. They're leaving graduates as, of NAU certified, ready to teach and they are local folks. So we're able to not totally fill the gap of um, teacher shortages, but they are solid hires. They've been great hires. They're people who are vested in our community. They've lived here. They've been working as a para pro 
or there are people who've been interested in teaching and now that their kids are older, they're ready to come back and finish off their education and get ready to go. So we've had that partnership for um, over three years now and it's, it's started slow, but it's gathering steam and we're moving forward. And then we're trying to, we're just in the process and we're in the construction phase of launching a Moodle uh, platform to have more professional development using that platform. And uh, we've been testing our toe in that water, but we know that that's where we need to go. We need to be able to meet teachers where they are at, wherever they are at. And doing all face-to-face just isn't a good reality. And, you know, I've talked about the logistics of our county. We can't reach them all. Right physically impossible. Going to Phoenix from Sholo is a, over a three-hour drive one way. So going to Phoenix for training is expensive and it takes people out of the classroom a significant amount of time. So we're trying to help accommodate some of that. And districts are trying to bring in high-quality professional development. But we always have educators who are saying, yes, but I need something to fit my need in X and to be able to fulfill that old tool. So we're, that's an up and coming. Um, That's, we're looking at getting that launched. It's a new venture. You mentioned your accommodation school and, Mm -hmm. and can you talk a little bit more about that? What is an accommodation school? Um, The Navajo County Accommodation District is <clears throat> sorry, is in a place where it once served um, low uh, incidence um, special needs students. And those students have since been absorbed into the local districts. So it evolved into an alternative high school. Um, several years ago, I would have to say over two and a half years ago, our juvenile detention facility was closed due to budgetary cuts. So our juvenile detention students who would normally be housed in a juvenile detention facility, um, if they're sentenced there by a judge, now go to Florence. It's a four-hour drive. So to help some of our students out and try to keep them closer to home, we have developed a program with our probation department in which working with the judges and the probation officers, if it's appropriate, And we still have our alternative school for any student in the area who wants to come. It's housed in Holbrook. So sometimes travel and transportation is an issue. Mm -hmm. So they come to our school. It's an alternative school. So we can do a lot of credit recovery and getting kids there from school. They are released from school and the probation department in the same building has facilities that at one time were just empty facilities. For example, it's a a kitchen, laundry room, classroom, and then another empty classroom. So when we saw those space, how can we utilize that space? Probation came in and said, hey, we'll take this over for you and we will have programming for these kids after school. And for example, how do you write a resume? How do you cook? How do you do wash? Um, A lot of these uh, students, once they're 18, parents are saying, there's the door. And so we know we have to get them geared up in just basic 
skills to be able to know how to get a job, mm-hmm. knowing how to survive. What are some other activities we can have them doing besides things that get them in trouble? So there's a gal, she's a photographer. She's teaching them about photography. There's an art teacher who's doing some artwork with them. We They got a great uh, partnership with a music store out of Mesa and have musical instruments and they have a recording studio there and they're just now starting to learn how to do that. And a retired music teacher is coming over and teaching them how to do all those pieces and getting them engaged in music. So looking at all those pieces, so working with probation and having that program uh, go along has been wonderful. Um, So we're excited and it's, uh, it filled a need because something was taken away. Mm-hmm. And so we're looking in down the road to uh, the probation department is looking at having a respite um, care place for juveniles to get them out of bad situations. And then if that does happen, then we would have those students coming our way also. And what it takes is great staff, and I have great staff, and it has people dedicated to the same goal, and that's the goal is everyone needs an education, and we can do, give them the skills to meet their needs. And it, it took a lot of work. Um, it took a lot of educating uh, probation officers who don't know a lot about high school at the time, now do, they understand mm-hmm. credit. And what it takes to earn credit. And, you know, they didn't, they don't think about that. And I had a great conversation with a former probation officer and I said, okay, how much time does a judge look at transcripts and looking at those pieces? And he said, well, you know, a little bit. And I said, we need to have a, a, a deeper conversation about that and help them fill any gaps that they may have in their knowledge because that's where they spend most of their day. And if we have young people who are now 16 and they only have two credits, you know, putting them on an online course at home by themselves isn't probably the best idea. True. Let's let's look at having them come to our school where they're going to be on an online program, but it's going to be with others and they're going to there's going to be a teacher and there's going to be help and then we can have additional help after school for them. Let's look at those pieces. So it, it's a lot of that talk, 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 and getting people on board. So that sounds like a great success that you've had. Yeah, we're pretty proud of it. It's it's always, sometimes you're always like, okay, how are we going to feed these guys? Oh, we've got a great partnership with Holbrook Unified School District. We're part of their program. And so consequently, once we got enrolled up and been more part of their program, our kids can now we have to go through the claiming process, but they know everyone eats for free. So, you know, what do we have to do to make that happen? You know, looking at transportation, we, uh, our buses were 12 passenger buses, but only you put, can't put, you know, high school kids and jam them in there. I learned how passenger ratings are on buses and all that wonderful stuff. Mm-hmm. What can we do to get a bigger bus? Okay. VW thing. What can we do to make that happen? Mm-hmm. But, you know, what can we, you know, it just always, it's always a learning curve and, and it's all been good and exciting. And uh, we're getting kids excited to be at school. They're so excited to be at school. Last year, they came to me and asked me, Superintendent Gerlich, because I'm the superintendent of that school. Um, they asked me, can we have a prom? And I said, (laughs) 
why do you want a prom? And they said, well, because we never went to our prom at our old high school and we really would like enjoy to have one here. I said, okay, so is this place becoming more than a place where you earn credit? And they go, yeah. And I was like, oh, we're, we're making the term, we're making that big curve where that says kids are making, taking ownership of their education and understanding that they're not the outsiders. They have control. They can, they're part of the school. And so that was exciting. That was real exciting. What other successes have you had since you've been in office? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, I've touched on a lot of them already. Uh, the biggest um, success is trying to uh, make do with less and getting everyone on board that we can do that. And now we're in a point where, okay, we've pretty much maxed that idea out. Now, how do we, do we, we can't really grow too much more without over um, stressing, stretching my staff because, you know, so bringing in those um, other viewpoints and other ways of doing things and you know, just trying to build more and more partnerships is probably the biggest piece that I can think of. And again, it's, uh, I, that mindset is, was huge for me to see people looking at things instead of saying, well, we can't do that. Okay, we can, but how are we going to do that? And mm-hmm. how do we problem solve that? And how do we move forward? Um, we've had I always joke with people and I would tell them, I said, did you hear that crash? And they go, no. And I go, well, that's that plate spinning that I didn't take care of fast (laughs) background. You know, it's just, you know, you, you, you have to make list live by the list and die by the list. Um, And so as far as other accomplishments, it's just trying to build staff and keeping them going and keeping their growth going is always a challenge because good people love to grow in their jobs and they, they need increased challenges and making sure they understand that they are making a difference because they are every single day. They're making a difference. As you look ahead into the next legislative session or the next school year or the next fiscal cycle, what do you see happening with education in Navajo County? Um, We've got quite a challenge ahead of us because in Navajo County, economically, we're hitting some hard times. With the close of the Navajo Generating Station, the sole um, source of coal for that plant was the Peabody Coal Mine, Mm Kayenta. They just had to lay off just under 300 people. So you have all those families that are impacted. And so do they leave the county? Is what jobs are they going to get? Um, and then in Joseph City, uh, the Choya Power Plant is due to be shut down by 2025. Hmm. There was a recent ruling by the Arizona Corporation Commission uh, in which they were doing some tests about biomass and it was going to be a little more expensive, but that got ruled down. They can't do that. 
you don't know our region, we have heavily forested areas and we have wildfires. So we were very excited at the prospect of being able to thin the forest and use that biomass to then produce electricity and keep jobs. Well, that kind of all went to the wayside. I don't know if they're going to try to appeal that or where, the, where, where that thinking is now. I don't know. So knowing those pieces are coming in and, you know, those are all good paying jobs that are disappearing. So what happens to our families that are connected to those jobs? Um, we know uh, in the past that Snowflake was hit with some reversals of similar nature. They have since rebounded. Um, so we'll see if things can get reinvented. Uh, tourism is a major industry for us right now. So how can we capitalize on that and keep families? But that's very weather dependent. Uh, if we don't get snow in the White Mountains for the ski resorts and the winter activities, then people don't come. And then we have businesses that are hurt in that region. Uh, what's happening as far as getting uh, increased broadband? Can we look at entrepreneurship? And what can we do to work with um, the workforce groups that are there to help look, keep our families closer to home? Because we know our, that's the, our lifeblood for schools is we have families. And so we're not, I know our districts are going, through, going to be going through some flux as far as their enrollment goes. So what can we do to help support them as they go through those phases? But again, we it just same year funding is a challenge for small mm -hmm. schools, as you know. And I don't know that it, those areas that are a little more stable, it's not such a burden. But when you uh, have a population of 420 and then 10 kids leave, well, that that hurts. <laughs> That, that's a lot of your kids. Yeah. So it really impacts your budget capacities. So, you know, working with folks to try to seek solutions or try to be there when they're trying to be creative and make sure everybody's within the same game. So we are different than the majority of the state within the central corridor of, you know, Phoenix and Tucson, where there's great growth going on, uh, jobs are happening, and that that's wonderful. So what can we do to help have that happen here? So it, as far as the legislation goes, um, it'll be interesting to see how they tackle the <clears throat> sales tax issue, the 301 issue. Mm -hmm. I, I think that will be proved to be very, very interesting. Uh, is it going to be a voter initiative or is that going to be a legislative initiative? Sales tax here is one of the few forms we can leverage to get additional funds. So our sales tax is going up. And granted, it does that's not going to impact groceries or gas or medicine, but you know. Sales tax is sales tax. So if you buy a car, you go out to eat, buy clothes, you know, are you going to do that here? Or are you going to go drive three hours and hopefully get it cheaper? So what can we do to keep those dollars local is the challenge for our local communities. Has there been discussion in, in Navajo County regarding consolidation? Well, there's two topics. There's unification of looking at your K-8 schools and unifying to 
uh, unified districts versus consolidation. Um, I have 14 districts. Closest districts I have is Winslow, Joseph City, and Holbrook. They're pretty close, but they won't. I mean, Winslow to Holbrook is, you know, close to an hour away, hmm. you know, on, on I-40. So, you know, and those two districts are pretty good sized. Um, Joseph City is the only one that gets spoken of at any time, but they're pretty independent and they're, they're not talking about joining anybody. Uh, so no, it's not been a discussion item because of logistics is the biggest issue. Other counties, I know they have K eight districts. Um, Cedar Unified School District is one of my smaller districts. They actually could go to high school, their unified district, but they don't serve high school students. Um, those students choose to go either to a BIE school or go elsewhere. Um, I mean, Holbrook Unified School District, the Navajo Nation still runs a dormitory. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> kids, kids will go to school during the week and go home on weekends. That still happens. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of times it's by choice. It's not because they have to, it's by choice. They want to go to Holbrook Unified School District. They have opportunities that their local district may not have. Navit, for example, those programs. If you want to be a welder, go to Holbrook. You'll learn how to weld, you know, while you're going to high school. Yeah, that's a great opportunity. So for some of those very small uh, communities that where you're not close to that opportunity, hey, families are making those choices. Well, Jalen, thank you so much for joining me today. I want to let all of the Rural Scoop listeners know that Jalen's contact information will be available in the show notes, so you can check that out at the Arizona Rural School Association's website at azruralschools.org and get more detailed information on how you can get in touch with her. Thanks again, Jalen, for joining me. Thank you. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.